I'm Jackie Simmons. I'm the host of the Suicide Prevention Show, and I am so excited that you are with me today. There are all kinds of ways to interact with the world, but we don't always take the time to really notice and interact with ourselves. And so to help us make peace with our bodies, to eat what we want and feel great, please help me welcome Daniel Addison. So Danielle, please join me in the studio. Hey. Hey. Can you hear I, me? I can hear you. Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh my goodness. It is so great to see you. You as well. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I'm so excited. We're going to have a great time with this because the journey that you're going to take us on is not one that most people um, ever believe is possible. So we're kind of going into the land of make-believe from my perspective. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Give us a little backstory. You know, before you became who you are, because you're kind of this guru in this space, you know, be, before you became you, what was life going on? What, what happened? Okay. So, I mean, taking you back to me, even being a kid, um, I significantly struggled with disliking my body. I was um, an athlete, um, but I still disliked my body. I was kind of raised in that, you know, the, the eighties and the nineties where the stick skinny um, Kate Moss was the beauty and that wasn't me. Um, and so I really struggled with my body and I ended up turning to, um, anorexia to kind of try to, um, control things in my life because I wasn't happy with myself and I wasn't meeting that ideal. Um, and I struggled with that for gosh, over 20 years and finally just started realizing that this isn't making me happy. I thought this, you know, feeling like I could control myself and my body through restricting what I was eating was going to make me happy or being thick skinny was going to make me happy. And it wasn't, I was miserable. And so I finally started just letting that go. And, and we're going to pause. We're yeah. going to pause. Okay. Because yeah. you said a whole lot and I'd love yeah. to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm here for. All right. Because what you just said is something that's not going to make a lot of sense to people if we go fast. I, it, yeah. it didn't make a lot of sense to my brain when we first talked. I was like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Controlling your, the ability. Oh my God, the dream, the ability to control my eating, the ability to control what my body looks like, that doesn't lead to happiness. You mean I've been misled by all of these commercials all of these years? Who would think? Who would think, right? We're being told in all these different areas of our lives that um, if you want to be happy and you want to be beautiful, just be skinny, right? That's the, the solution to everything. And so it's not. take us to that day. Take us to the day that you are skinny. You're in full control of your eating. You're in full control of your body and what it looks like. And you wake up and what was that day like for you? Oh my gosh. It was just realizing how deeply just depressed and lonely and empty I felt. And I came to realize 
And it really was almost like a day waking up, um, realizing that I am so not in control. All of these years that I thought I was in control, what had control of me was the addiction to my body image, the addiction to, you know, restricting myself from food, the addiction to media, the addiction to just so many different things that I was so not in control of what I thought I was in control of. Food had control of me. My, my poor unhealthy body image, my mental health had control over me. I had control over nothing. And I, when I realized that it was just like, someone slapped me in the face. And I was like, all of these years, I've been lying to myself and telling myself that I had all this control. When in reality, I had control over absolutely nothing. And that was lonely. That was miserable. So in that moment of loneliness, what happened? What, what were you thinking that day? that I've got, I've got to find a different way that being thin has me more depressed and more sad and more lonely. I know I keep going back to that word, but it's so true than what I had ever imagined. And I had been striving to try to find happiness and I wasn't going to find happiness in my body, no matter how skinny I was. I wasn't happy and I was never skinny enough. I was never going to have that. I was never going to have that beautiful body. I was never going to be that Kate Moss of the nineties. And I'm not at all picking on Kate Moss. I'm just saying like, if you remember back in the nineties at all, like that just very tall, slender, very, very skinny. I predate the nineties. So you were talking Twiggy. Yes. Yes. Twiggy. Exactly. I know exactly (laughs) who you're talking about. No, spot on. And I'm, I'm just over five, two. <laughs> so that's never going to be me. And I've been a dancer and a soccer player and an athlete my entire life. That was never going to be me. I was striving for something that was impossible and it was making me miserable. And it was made, making me so angry at myself and hating not only my body, but just disliking me as a person. And that is not a fun place for anyone to be. What was your first step? My first step, well, honestly, it was to tell. To tell tell on myself. I told, so my support network at the time, who, you know, a couple of my super close friends, and then I did, even though I was a little bit older, I wasn't, you know, a kid, I still, I told my dad. I was older and I had no reason, but I knew I had to tell people because if I kept it to myself, I didn't know if I was going to ever truly be able to recover from it. All right. So I have to ask, Mm -hmm. take us to that conversation with your dad. Oh my gosh. That was definitely a challenge for both of us. Um, Because of course, as a parent, he felt that he failed. Well, let's start at the beginning of that conversation. Yeah. How okay. did you, because when it comes to suicide prevention, when we put together our programs, we get asked all the time, how do you start the conversation? Yeah. 
So how do you, how did you, doesn't that be pretty? How did you do it? (laughs) What's so crazy is there's a part of me that like, I, I'm going to try to recall it the best I can, but there's like a part of me that really just wants to block it out because it was so painful, but it was just having the conversation with him and saying, Hey, I have been struggling with this for over a decade. Struggling with what? What was this in that sentence? My ultimately, and I, I, it wasn't verbatim like this, but how I view food, like my relationship with food, I'm terrified of food. I hate my body and I have been using food. I've been using excessive exercise, um, running all the time, like three plus hours a day, seven days a week to try to be this skinny ideal. Um, And the hardest part of the conversation was, so both of my parents were extremely ill um, my entire life. And so that was another part of the reason why I turned to trying to, I wanted to find something to control because my parents were so sick and I had no control over that. And it was like, okay, well, my body, my weight, I have control over that. And I don't like what it looks like anyway. So I'm going to control this. Well, that didn't work. But having to say that to my dad, of, you know, I was so desperately looking for something to control in my life because I was so worried about you and mom and your illnesses. And this just, it took a hold of me. And um, I struggled over the years with anorexia. Um, and he just, was, he looked at me and he's like, I knew something wasn't right. And he's like, I want to know, like, what were you doing? I gave you food. What did you do with this food? And having that open conversation of what I was doing with it, he just was mortified. All right, Danielle, you've opened a can of worms. We, you know, I'm sorry, but if you're willing, what were you doing with the food? Um, I'm care- I'm just kind of careful of saying this because I don't want someone else to kind of pick up on the things that I did. Um, I'm more than willing to share. But um, I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to go eat in my, my bedroom. And I would stash food in the closet. I would hide it in the closet. Um, and then when I knew that my parents were going to be gone or I was home alone, then I would get all the food out of my closet and dispose of it in the garbage. So obviously it wouldn't start sinking too much. Um, so that was one of my ways. Or if I was eating with my parents, having that napkin in my lap and the food ends up in the napkin. Oh, I'll clean up the dishes tonight. Um, So just finding little secret ways like that, obviously being in like being in high school, just not really eating um, at school, but just finding little, little ways like that. And again, that was so hard on my dad. Like, how did I not realize that? How did I not see it? And, and it was it, me. that's the cry of every single parent yeah. who finds out their child is struggling. At least yeah. that was mine, which is yeah. how could I not have seen this? Mm-hmm. So I feel for your dad a, a great deal. And I appreciate you being willing to share because we're oblivious to what's going on around us most of the time. Yeah. And, and you don't have to have a chronic illness to be oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so your dad gets all of our love and support. Um, we're totally, totally hardwired not to be able to see what our family is struggling with because we have to believe that they're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just viscerally hardwired. So, yeah. yeah. So 
thank you for being willing to take us into that day and oh, you know, for your dad to, to be willing to sit through that conversation and not yeah. just block it out and run and scream. You know, what, what was next for you all? Um, for, for me and the experience. Yeah. With, yeah. In your dad. Um, just again, he started again, like many parents started just really struggling with that. This is all my fault. This is all my fault. And I'm like, no, I'm not telling you, you know, your illness, mom's illness is nobody's fault. That was completely out of everybody's control. Um, this was my, my doing. And it was really, you know, taking full ownership of this. Um, is a huge step. It was nobody's fault. And um, then I, I did choose to put myself in, in a part of my recovery, put myself in therapy um, because I knew there was a lot of mind work. And what's so interesting is I was a therapist at this point. And I'm talking to men and women and helping them with their lives. And here I am a mess, a complete mess. I mean, nobody has it all together <laughs> in life. Everyone struggles with something. And here I was this therapist and what kind of therapist, what kind of therapist were you at that point? I, oh, at that time I was actually doing, um, drug and alcohol rehabilitation in, um, a County jail. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Which is again, so interesting. I'm working with, you know, drug and alcohol addiction. And here I am addicted to hating my body and addicted to restricting food. Um, it's just so interesting how, how things work. It was like, I was just. <laughs> it was almost <laughs> like you had volunteered to put yourself in jail. It was just yes. a jail with invisible bars. Yes. yes, my own jail. Absolutely. And um, yeah, so I went to, you know, just started going to therapy and working on my belief systems. And this is now kind of what I really help women with is my belief systems around food and around my body. And it's not to blame society. It's not to blame, you know, media or social media, but my beliefs were so just toxic and they had been influenced by the media. Again, the beauty standards. And again, not to blame them because I chose this, but the belief systems that were so strong and so toxic in my head that I had to start challenging those. And I couldn't do that on my own. I just couldn't. What, what happens behind the eyes and between the ears, that's not a place to go without a guide. No, yeah. I don't not. care what guide you all, what somebody chooses, but yeah, this is, this is not for the, the, the lone adventurer. At least that was my experience as well. Yes. And yes. there are all kinds of people, all kinds of guidance, all kinds of you know, places you can get help, but yeah, go with a guide is a good idea. Yes, absolutely. And again, being able to sit here today and say, you know, the real reason I started turning in that direction was because I was seeking a level of control in my life. It's like, I kind of knew that, but it really took seeing a therapist to really truly be, um, be able to understand that how much control I was really trying to find in my life. And I just found it in the wrong, I turned to the wrong means to try to find something in my life that I could control. 
All right. So now you've been looking for love in all the wrong places that we love country music. Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was the next step for you? And and I, I'm going to bring it back to the relationship with your dad simply because this whole parent child dynamic was such a challenge for me. And being able to share the story, both from my daughter's side and from my side, um, was such a um, the word that comes to mind is cathartic journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like for you all? It it was painful, um, but my dad was such an amazing support. And I'm going to kind of throw something out there about my dad. And I know he, unfortunately, my dad is no longer with us. Um, but I know he wouldn't, even if he were, he wouldn't mind me sharing this because he was very, very open about this. He struggled with his own alcohol addiction, but he had been clean and sober before I was even born. So I never had to endure any of that. Um, but he was able to take his experience with that addiction and be such an incredible support with my own addiction. And even though they were very different, he was able to just help me and know that like, just the, the feelings that we have are just, they overlap, they really do. Just feeling out of control and looking for something you can control and trying to find an external means to, to feel happy and, our, and you know, okay with ourselves or comfortable. And so he was really able to help me with that because he had been through it. He had survived it. Oh, what a great story. Thank you. Yeah. As a parent, I think there's no greater joy than actually discovering that what we've struggled with and what we've survived could serve our children. Is, is, is such a great gift that he ended up being able to experience, Danielle, because yeah. you were willing to do something really hard. What we're finding is the biggest struggle people have is breaking the silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your willingness to break the silence and to reach out for help is a testament to your own strength. And I just want to thank you for being willing to share this journey with us. Absolutely. I mean, if when we go through these struggles, I, I feel like a part of not only my recovery, but is being able to help other people and, you know, for other people to be able to learn from my experiences, because I, I don't want, I don't want other people, even if they're struggling with it to go have this go on for decades, like it did for me. So as you move forward with their story, you and your dad, your dad is able to support you. You've gotten support from your peers. You've gotten support yeah. professionally. And when did you decide to turn your mess into your message? When did, I mean, you know, that's a, you know, I mean, that's literally what you did. When did did that become the platform that you chose to bring into the world? Oh my gosh. So it had been on my mind for so long that I was like, come on, how, how long is so long? Oh my gosh. Probably as soon as I started going to the therapist, I was like, I need to get back. I need to get back. I need to help people. This is so enlightening. You know, I'm so sad that so many women and men are struggling with this. Um, And I honestly did not pull the trigger on my business until I was pregnant with my daughter. And that was the moment 
that I looked at my husband and I said, no more wishing, no more talking about this, no more kind of planning it loosely in my head. I'm doing, I'm doing this. And I'm going to call you out and make you really specific. Okay. Okay. Here we go. You had the conversation with your dad. You've started getting professional help. That was what month and what year? Oh my goodness. It was roughly, roughly. I would say it was 2000. Hold on. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, 2010 or 11. Okay. So you're working in the jail. Yep. Yep. I was, I was in, yep. Working in the prison at this point. And when were you pregnant with your daughter? What year was that? You're really calling me out. Uh-huh. <laughs> Welcome to Jackie's show, honey. <laughs> um, I, 2018. That's only eight years. That's a long time. I get it. And it's only eight years. Yeah. Okay. So, so we got both sides of the elephant here. <laughs> okay. I, we, yeah, I mean, they say don't compare yourself to anyone. Um, yeah. You know, my daughter broke 23 years of silence. So for me, eight years is a miracle. Yeah. And, and then it took another whatever before we pulled the trigger on the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're talking about in eight years later, you had built up enough pressure, but you said something very poignant. You said you were about to be a mom. Yep, to a girl. How much did that play into your decision to not wait, to stop waiting? Because I knew what I'd been through. And I I remember saying to myself and my husband, I will do everything in my powers to not have my daughter go through the same experience I did. And again, not that I have control over her and what's going to happen with her, but that was just, that was it. And I wanted to be able to touch and reach and help as many women as possible. And I also knew from my experience that it is on me as my daughter's mother to show her what it's like to have a healthy relationship with food and to have a healthy relationship with our body. And I'm not saying we have to love our body. I'm not saying we have to love everything about it, but it's about respecting and appreciating everything that our body does for us every single day, because it's pretty darn incredible. Oh, my body tolerates an awful lot. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an incredible vehicle incredible. For, for carrying it out. Okay. So, so you said something else that I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. boy, that makes it sound so simple. Right. So you said one sentence and for anybody who has ever been in business or you've ever been an entrepreneur, you recognize this euphemism. And then I pulled the trigger on my business. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? I am, I am not a business. I have always worked for people, for, for the government. I mean, honestly, that's, that's what I, I work for. I work for the government and I, my family are not, we're not entrepreneurs. We're not business owners. I am not techie. It was a mess and it still is a mess. Let's be honest. Um, 
but I didn't care. It wasn't about making things look pretty or perfect. It was about what is most important here. And what is most important is that the world and people hear my message that I can get myself out there and start helping people. I don't care how horrendous my website looks like, what my social media looks like. I just want to help people. That's all I care about. That's it. And it's still really messy. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell it myself. Well, for for anybody who... um has ever participated, I'm just going to speak like if you're watching the recording, if you've ever been on the show when we do it live, it happens. I mean, tech happens, deadlines happen. Yeah. This is the entrepreneurial journey is that if you wait until you've got these things done, you will never get started. Yep. Never. So you didn't have the website. You didn't have the social media accounts. You didn't have it. What did you have other than a burning desire to share your message? Where did you start? I, I mean, honestly, I got myself out there and I, I talked to people that I knew. And um, I okay. honestly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I got myself out there. You got to define there for me. Okay. okay yeah. but, but, you, but the other thing you said, I love. I talked yeah. with people that I knew. Yeah. You didn't go trying to drive cold traffic to a landing page. No, no. Oh, okay. no. I'm just, just I, checking I, because yeah. this is what the gurus are putting out yeah. on the internet now. Oh, you just do it all virtually. You know, you do it all and cold traffic is the thing. And I'm like, you didn't start there. No, I, I thought about the relationships that I had, whether it just be really casual business, whatever it may be. I mean, my the you know woman who cuts my hair the my chiropractor um people who i had just kind of casually met at the gym just random not random people but people that i knew that kind of knew me and i had you know a positive have had positive interactions with and just kind of told them you know what my plan was what i was doing and word of mouth that way and the most incredible thing is um, one, one woman who I knew, um, and she actually, she owns her own very small local business. And she was like, Oh, well, why don't I get you in touch with our local, um, neighborhood magazine? And I was like, cool, great. And so I talked to the woman who owned the local neighborhood magazine and, um, did a couple, um, just kind of wellness posts for them. And people started calling me. And then the magazine wanted to put my family um, on the cover and did kind of a little interview about, you know, my business and what I do. And people started calling me and it really was just word of mouth, honestly. It's the simplest way to build a business. Yes. And I mean, I'm going to tell on myself because I built my first business that way but totally had no idea that that's what I was doing. So when I went into business outside of the home, cause I was um, had built a daycare in my home, I thought it was different than that. Yeah. But it yeah. really is that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, and, and so relationship capital is the word that has come up in the chat. And I'm like, 
it's recognizing that it's okay to sh- talk to the people who already know us just yeah. about what our vision is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so many people are talking about, oh, I've got this list and I've got this, but they're forgetting that, that nobody cares. That, that what we care yeah. about is who can I become when I work with you? What can I accomplish? What do I, what are you helping people become and what are you helping people do? And Crystal, you up, not Crystal, sorry, Crystal was in the chat. Danielle, you were just saying, this is what I'm doing. That's it. I wasn't even, I wasn't trying to sell anything. I was just saying, hey, you know, when people say, well, what have you been up to? How are things going? Oh, good. I decided to kind of take this new journey and see where, see where it takes me. I mean, it really was as simple as that. Cool. Yeah. When did it really start to collect a lot of momentum and you go, oh, thank God I did this. It didn't stay in my job. Um, Honestly, it was, I I know this sounds probably silly, but um, writing those couple wellness articles for the local magazine really created so much momentum and people you know, women started coming to me and kind of doing like, well, can we just try a little test trial and see how things go? And yep, sure, we can do that. And they were hooked. And then they started telling their friends. So again, it almost became this word of the word of mouth. Um, and I know you'll hear a lot of people say, well, that you can't, you can't sustain a business off of word of mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. Oh my goodness. It's not easy, but it's possible. You know, there's a path for every business is my firm belief that we all create our own path to getting our message out and getting a message in the world. What I love about your story is that it didn't have to be easy. I mean, compared to the struggle that you had been, and you've been, your description sounds what I describe for my clients as living in an invisible jail. Yes. You look totally free on the outside. Yep. And totally trapped on the inside. Yep. And when you became free on the inside, it sounds like all the trappings on the outside started falling away. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And again, I, I don't ever want people to think that, oh, this just magically happened. I just fixed myself overnight. Oh my goodness. No, 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 no. I mean, it's still to this day, I, I'm still continuing to work on myself and work on my relationship with myself. I mean, it's, it's continuous. It's, it's never going to be perfect. Well, you know, you are the one person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. So it's an ongoing process because we're never the same two days. I'm often not the same two days in a row. So, no. yeah, ongoing get to know you. So I'm super, something super I always, happy. Something I always tell my clients and even, you know, working when I worked in the, the prison system, um, telling them. The one thing, the one person you can never run from, you can never escape is yourself. Because they always talk about, well, I'm going to move. I'm going to relocate. Okay, you can relocate and get away from those toxic relationships. But 
you can never, ever escape yourself. Yeah. Um, somebody once said, or I read somewhere a long time ago, it said, wherever I go, there I am. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, yes. I say that too. Yep. Exactly. So on this journey that you have been on that took you out of your comfort zone with a, a steady paycheck and into the realm of entrepreneurialism, as you came out of the insanity of addiction, and into a place of, it sounds like you're pretty relaxed and that that's what you help everybody else become just pretty much comfortable. Maybe not totally at peace, but comfortable yeah. with who they are. Yeah. 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 And, and, and how we show up, our, our, our human suit that we wear. Yeah. What was your worst moment like on this journey? Oh my gosh. There's honestly, there was, there's so many. Um, but I'd say the most challenging one mm -hmm. is just being able to move past like the constant self-doubt of, I can't do this. This isn't right for me. And then even just still looking in, in the mirror and going, God, I'm becoming so ugly. I have to go back to that old way. No, I, I have to go back to restricting myself. I'm so ugly. I'm so fat. This is horrible. And that battle was awful. And I knew there was like one side of my brain was like, but you want to be happy. Nothing else matters other than finding happiness and peace within yourself because you are miserable. And then there's this other part that's like, Oh my God, I don't, I, I don't even recognize myself. Who is this person? This is awful. This is horrible. And having that battle was so challenging. When did the battle sides start to shift? When did the voice that said being happy is what's important start to get louder? than the voice that was telling you all of the change back to the way you were, all of those yeah. change back messages? I'd say probably about six months to a year in. The battle just kind of kept going. And I would have days kind of like how you were saying earlier that I don't think I'm ever really the same person two days in a row. I was kind of like that where I'd have one day where it's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I got this. I love who I am. This is great. And then the next day it would be, you know, lying in bed, like, I, I hate myself. I hate myself. I mean, day to day. Um, but it more consistently started the happiness is the most important thing to me, not my body. About six months to a year in, it started overpowering all those other voices. But again, it goes back to, I needed the therapist to help me battle these deep, deep beliefs that I held on to very, very, very long time. And I truly believed them. Oh, I absolutely understand that. The, the journey to, to um, yeah, the, the, the one thing that we all have control over and nobody taught us how to control is assigning meaning, creating beliefs. Mm -hmm. We all have control over it. We all do it. We make decisions about what things mean at a time we don't even remember. From the time we're born, we are meaning assigning machines. Yeah. But nobody taught us how to, at least nobody taught me until 
Now I'm on the high side of 60 and I'm just getting the puzzle pieces put together to understand how this thing works Yeah. when it comes to setting up belief systems. So you hit on something really important. These, um, we all have them and they totally run our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Have. Cool. When I, when I work with my clients, I've had, I've had a couple of women when I start working with them, they'll be like, well, when are we going to start getting into this whole food thing? I'm like, we're not there yet. We have to start kind of working on what's going on up here. And something as simple as when it comes to food, I'll be really specific. That fruit is like the devil. Don't eat fruit. That is a belief that our diet culture has made so many women believe because fruit has sugar. Oh my God. I hadn't heard this one. All right. So we are now into the myth busting portion. All right. Let's go bust some more myths. So, so the the thing that sugar is, sugar is not good. Fruit sugar is not good. That's a myth. It's a myth. What's true? Oh goodness. That sugar. Oh my gosh. Think about all of the vitamins that and the minerals and everything that come in fruit. Fruit is the saving grace when, you know, these kind of the crazy sugar cravings. I don't know any women out there, um, that time of the month, if you struggle with having significant sugar cravings and you just want to die face first into a bowl of M&Ms or something like that. um, Oh, I've never done that. (laughs) I have no clue what you're talking about. Or a a whole quart of ice cream. Not that you can't have ice cream, please. I want you to eat these things. But diving face into a whole, you know, quart of ice cream. Watch out. But sugar is, or um, fruit is such an amazing way to kind of help our bodies and our hormones stay regulated, Uh stay regulated during that time of the month. Um, So, I mean, that's just one simple thing. Um, Okay, let's, yeah. bust it. let's bust another myth. I'm having fun okay. with that. Okay. okay, that's another myth that you hear. Um, I'm, okay, so I'm going to stick, is it okay if I stick kind of with the food, specific food groups? Sure, All that right. works for me. All right, so I'm curious how many people are going to, you know, be like, oh yeah. So potatoes, right? Potatoes are also so bad. The potatoes are just, just like fruit. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, we're going to take that to another step, but go ahead with yeah. your potato story. Oh boy. Okay. So potatoes are the devil, right? No, they're not. Potatoes are one of the foods that are, well, if you keep the skin on it, obviously fiber, which helps with our digestion, our digestive system, which is so incredibly important to feel good is to have proper digestion, but also potatoes are one of the most saddest fine foods in the world. And I'm not talking about going to McDonald's and ordering a large French fry. Oh, darn. Um, Those aren't potatoes? I don't know what's in those. But <laughs> we'll, we'll say a definite maybe on that. Okay, so, so well, can we stick with just a color scheme for a minute? Yeah. Someone said, Jackie, I do really well with, with uh, managing my weight because I decided to not eat anything that was white. And I said, what do you mean? They said white flour, white sugar, rice, potatoes, so white bread. Okay, so that's another myth. Another myth, another right. myth. So what's true? So it's 
again, all of these things have, they have fiber in them. They have nutrients in them. A big reason that potatoes in particular have gotten such a bad rap is because of the ways that people are used to kind of serving them or eating them. When you, you think you're of, talking about a loaded potato. Exactly. Loaded with 10 pounds of cheese and sour cream and butter and, you know, half a pound of uh, table salts and all of that, or going back to the McDonald's French fries. And again, not that you can't, you can eat these things. There's nothing wrong with eating these things. But when we're doing them constantly, that's when it becomes a problem. Like I'm talking about the French, like the McDonald's French fries. But it's the way, or the mashed potatoes, right? Thanksgiving, what do we add to them? Cream and a pound of butter and all of that, right? That's kind of what's given these food groups a really bad name. Ah, so it's not what it is. It's how it's prepared. How it's prepared. I can honestly tell you, I do not go a single day without eating bananas, watermelon, pineapple, and potatoes. Every single day, I kid you not, I eat a potato if not more than one, I chop them up, throw them in my air fryer with a little pink salt and pepper and yum. But it Sounds is like the an most air fryer is in my future. Yeah. Oh, if anyone needs an, an air fryer is like my number one thing to say to have in your kitchen. I use oh, that, that thing. That is so funny. I use that thing. I kid you not three times a day. No joke. <laughs> No joke. Three times, three times a day, if not more than that, depending on what I'm making my daughter for lunch or breakfast. Seriously. But yeah. So the whole, and rice, there's rice is incredible. Pasta. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. This stuff is so satisfying and nutritious, but again, diet culture has convinced us that these things are so horrible for us and they're not, they're absolutely not. And again, I will repeat myself. Potatoes are the most satisfying food in the world. Look, I hope everyone meat, hears that. My meat and potato guy is going to be really happy. To hear this, okay. Yes. You know, I, when I start making salads and stuff and he's going, what is that hairy green vegetable? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, you know, he's happier with his meat and potatoes. Yeah, so potato salad and a hot dog. Yeah, got to be kosher. You know, got to be got to be the stuff that you know, that he knows somebody's watching that it doesn't have chem you know chemicals on it. But yeah, um, and, and impressive things. All right, so myth busting one hundred and two. We're gonna we're gonna ramp it up a little bit because I want to get oh. a couple more myths busted here. Sure. But first, I have to ask you the other question. Yeah. What's been your best moment on this journey? Oh my gosh. It kind of goes hand in hand. My, the best moment, because I was able to create this relationship with myself, I finally found the most incredible man. And we were able to create this amazing child if I would not have been able to work on myself and find the confidence and the love and the happiness within myself, I know I would have never been able to find 
this relationship and create this family of my own. It just wouldn't have been possible because I was so busy trying, you know, when I was unhappy, this is what I did to everybody. And now my arms are open to allow people in. What a beautiful, beautiful tribute to breaking the silence. When we've got a secret, it prevents us from connecting with other people, not and with ourselves. So, mm-hmm. What a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Thank you for allowing me to share that. So, all right. 102, myth busting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a myth and my brain is going blank. So what do you hear from your clients? What's their other question? Their other questions? So again, usually it just, it, it comes down to, I know I keep going back to um, kind of the diet culture, but it is, it's just these different, like, okay, oh, I'm going to call some diets out. Sorry. Keto diet. All about, you know, getting, you know, removing getting your body into something called ketosis, ketosis, which I'm not, I, I'm not at all bashing that whole scientific concept, but it's the whole idea of how we get ourselves there. Again, it's removing all of these healthy things out of our lives. It's, you can't eat fruit. There's even some vegetables that you can't eat. Um, obviously, you know, the carbohydrates and the pastas and the potatoes, all of that stuff is out. Our body needs this stuff to feel satisfied. As I was saying, potatoes are the most satisfying food in the world. A part of being healthy, our health is not just the food we put in our mouths. Health is how we feel from the top of our head to the ends of our toes. And if I'm so focused on food 100% of the time, what I can eat, what I can't eat. That affects a person's soul. That affects a person's emotions. That's not health. It certainly would prevent someone from being present to a conversation. If your mind is busy going, oh, they shouldn't eat that or I can't have that. And, and then you're not able to really be part of a conversation even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, again, another, another really common diet, intermittent fasting. So again, there is scientific proof behind this stuff works. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that's not health. Health is not just food and going to the gym. It's about our spirit. It's about our soul. It's about our relationships. So how we eat is not the only thing to be paying attention to. No. So if it fits into a happy life, there's nothing wrong with it necessarily. If if everything else is in alignment with it is what I'm hearing. Yes. But if it's pulling you out of alignment in these other areas of your life, then it might be something worth revisiting. Did I get it? Spot on, spot on. Cool. All right. So you have put together, and I don't want to miss this, you have put together an amazing, amazing gift for everyone. What is mindful eating and intuitive eating? 
I mean, these are two concepts that I don't hear a whole lot. So share a little bit about those and we'll drop a link for everybody because your masterclass looks amazing. Thank you. Yeah. um, No, I'm really excited. So these are definitely pieces of, so my whole programming, I kind of have put together things that's like a pie, right? Different pieces of the pie. Um, And so mindful eating is a way that we learn how to reconnect with our mind and our body and our soul. I know that sounds weird. I'll explain this when it comes to food. So we are all born, human beings are all born to eat what we call intuitively. Think of a baby, think of a newborn. They, they cry when they're hungry, right? And they stop when they're full. Unfortunately, with time, we, we kind of start losing that intuitiveness when it comes to eating. And for some people, it might be like me, where we become afraid of food and we restrict. For other people, it might be, you know, I deal with my emotions by eating or we're a very busy society and we're eating on the go. We're eating in the car. We're eating as we're writing 16 different emails or we're we're on a Zoom call or we're on a phone call or running around chasing the kids and I'm shoving food in my mouth. We're a very busy society, eating in front of the television. We lose track of what we're putting in our body and how our body feels and when our body's full. Okay, so I have a myth. Maybe it's not a myth. Yeah. So you just said it. We're losing track of when our body's full. I was told that if the food has a combination of fat, sugar, and salt, it's actually evolutionarily designed to turn off our sense of satiation, that we're not going to know that we're full. We're not going to recognize it because evolutionarily, fat, salt, and sugar were hard to come by for our ancestors. So I was told that our bodies are wired to both crave those and gorge on them. And actually, sugars in particular create, and I don't want to get too much into the scientific stuff, but it actually is very similar to that of um, a drug addiction, what it does to the dopamine in our brains. Okay, so now um, we're talking simple sugars. We're not talking fruit yes, sugars. No, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yes, I'm not talking at all sugars from fruits or vegetables or anything. I'm talking like processed. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so there, there's some scientific validity behind that. Um, that so this is sort of a, maybe a true myth. Yeah, because not, not yeah, all. There's as- are, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's aspects, aspects of it. There's aspects of it that are true. There's aspects of it that aren't. Okay. Fully, full truth. But, but what I hear you is distracted eating in front of the TV, maybe even at a restaurant where they're, you know, at a, at a networking event or whatever, where yeah. there's all these conversations, all these things going on. We're distracted from any messages from our own body. Yes. And so with mindful eating, it's learning how and intuitive eating as well, but I'll explain the difference in a second. Um, with mindful eating and intuitive eating, it's learning to reconnect with our bodies and understanding our hunger cues and our fullness cues. So for me, um, learning my hunger cues was a real challenge because I had restricted for so long. I had to relearn what my body felt like when I was hungry because I became so used to aches and pains and all of that, that I had to learn what my initial hunger cues were and okay, it's time to eat. It's time to feed my, my feed myself. Um, and for other people, it might be the opposite end of the spectrum 
where they just, you know, frequently might overeat and kind of gorge themselves and they, they can't recognize that when they're full and they constantly eat past fullness, eating to, you know, the tummy ache. Um, so it's reconnecting with our bodies and kind of going back to that innate thing that we're born with of learning how to listen to our bodies and eat intuitively and eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full, just like the, the newborn, a newborn child can. And we do train that out of our children. We train them yes. to eat at yes. a certain time of day as opposed yep. to eat when they're hungry. Or finish your plate. Oh, let's not even. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. The, yeah, let's not even, because I grew up with the Clean Plate Club. So that was a whole mindset thing yep. in, in and of it itself that, that had and that's something. Life. That's another thing that I, I often work with, with clients on, but not even just for themselves, but also for their kids, because they find that they're creating that same thing with their kids. Well, yeah, we, we teach what we learn. Yep. You know, children exactly. live what they learn. Parents, we, and I didn't believe it. Until the day that I opened my mouth and my mother jumped out. It was, it was like, yeah, I know. Oh my God, I've become my mother. Yeah. Yes. So it happens. All right. So we're going to give everyone the journal, the guide for intuitive eating and this body confidence for life. Body confidence sounds so different than a weight loss program. Oh yeah, or a health and fitness program. Can I tell once, you my, Oh yeah, go ahead. You go, wrap it up. I am. Us. I am all about. This is what I preach all day long. It's body neutrality, where we become neutral with our bodies. That we are not. We don't talk about weight loss. We don't talk about weight gain. We get rid of that. That is diet culture speaking to you. We have to shut diet culture out. When we stop focusing on weight and we start focusing on how we feel, everything changes. Everything changes. There we go. All right. It doesn't get any better than that. Shifting the focus away from the weighty topics, away from the grocery list, and onto the emotions onto how we feel physically and emotionally. That's the shift that you want to take and guide people on. And to do that, you've created these wonderful tools that you are giving to everybody on the show. Dr. Danielle, thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you. It was such an honor and such an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Jackie. Well, and I know you're in the Facebook group, so you're in for the people who are a part of the VIP. So if you've got questions for Dr. Danielle, you can ask them there. And um, we're going to just say thank you. Thank you so much.